Good morning. You join us as we're in a Matthew sermon series. Duncan kicked us off again last week with a double whammy, and I'm going to be reading from Matthew chapter 12, verses 15 to 32 today. This is a remarkable set of verses where Jesus asserts himself through word and deed to be the chosen servant that will bring justice to the nations and all of humanity. And he also, in these verses, rebukes the Pharisees for their hardness of heart and their rejection of him. And he calls upon them to turn away from that position and to allow the Holy Spirit to come and to soften their hearts and to allow them to really understand who Jesus is and to accept him for who he is. So we're going to be reading from verse 15, but I'm just going to pray for us before I do that. Father God, I thank you so much for the privilege of reading your word. I pray that you would take my words this morning And through the power of your Holy Spirit, you would draw out to us just how mighty, just how powerful, but how compassionate and loving Jesus is and was. And I pray that you would come through the power of the Holy Spirit and you would transform our hearts, Lord. Where there might be hardness of heart, would you bring softness? In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Reading from verse 15. But Jesus, aware of this, withdrew from there. Many followed him and he healed them all and warned them not to tell who he was. This was to fulfill what was spoken through Isaiah the prophet. Behold my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved in whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit upon him and he shall proclaim justice to the Gentiles. He will not quarrel nor cry out, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A battered reed he will not break off, and a smouldering wick he will not put out, until he leads justice to victory. And in his name the Gentiles will hope. Then a demon-possessed man who was blind and mute was brought to Jesus, and he healed him, so that the mute man spoke and saw. All the crowds were amazed and were saying, This man cannot be the son of David, can he? But when the Pharisees heard this, they said, This man casts out demons only by Beelzebul, the ruler of the demons. And knowing their thoughts, Jesus said to them, Any kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and any city or house divided against itself will not stand. If Satan casts out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? If I by Beelzebul cast out demons, by whom do your sons cast them out? For this reason they will be your judges. But if I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Or how can anyone enter the strong man's house and carry off his property unless he first binds the strong man and then he will plunder his house? The unpardonable sin, he who is not with me is against me and he who does not gavel with me scatters. Therefore I say to you, any sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven. But blasphemy against the Spirit shall not be forgiven. Whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man, it shall be forgiven him. But whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit, it shall not be forgiven him, either in this age or in the age to come. I want to draw out three points from the text this morning. The first is Jesus, the chosen servant. The second is Jesus, power over demons. And the final point is blaspheming against the Holy Spirit. Let's waste no time. Let's dive straight into Jesus, the chosen servant. We join in verse 15, where Jesus withdraws. Jesus is aware that 
after his altercation and his disagreement with the Pharisees, um, that they have reached a position in verse 14 where they want to kill him. They want to end his life. So he withdraws as he knows his time has not yet come. But this puts um, the people that are, that are engaging and surrounded in this uh, kind of disagreement between the Pharisees and Jesus in, a, in an interesting position. They can choose to follow the Pharisees and have nothing to do with Jesus, or they can choose to follow Jesus and in doing so add credibility and, and ultimately show their faith in who he is saying that he is. And in verse 15, it's quite emphatic that many followed him. Many chose to take that step in following him and saying, yes, I believe. I believe, Jesus, you say who you say you are, you are. So why? Why did they choose to follow Jesus rather than what the Pharisees were saying and believing? Well, Jesus explains this in, the, in these verses and he does it through quoting Isaiah 42. This would have been a, a passage of scripture that the crowds and the Pharisees would have known very well. It was a, a prophetic chapter of scripture where it was proclaimed that there would be a chosen servant who would come and would bring justice to the nations. So this was a key difference. In other chapters in Isaiah at this time, there were prophecies of a saviour, a deliverer to come for the nation of Israel exclusively. They were in exile in Babylon in a horrible situation. And some of these other chapters spoke of a, a deliverer who would come. And that turned out to be King Cyrus who would free them from their captivity. But Isaiah 42 is, is specific in terms of speaking about justice being brought for the nations. This chosen servant would, would bring justice beyond the nation of Israel. It would be for all of humanity. We see in verse 21 in this chapter, it talks about hope for all Gentiles. This is for all, all people groups across the world. So they would have been looking out for, for who, who this chosen servant was that's mentioned in Isaiah 42. And Jesus emphatically says, I am he. I am the chosen servant. And we're going to look at um, some of the, the, the claims this morning and we're going to see how in this text, but also across scripture, how Jesus did, did demonstrate that he in fact was. He was the fulfillment of this prophecy heralded long ago. Starting in verse 18, where it talks about this servant would be chosen. They would be beloved and that the spirit would be poured out on them. This just screams of Jesus's baptism. Matthew 3, there's an account of this, where Jesus, as he's being baptized, there's a voice that comes from heaven that goes, this is my, my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. And a dove descends, which is a sign of, of the Holy Spirit being poured out on Jesus. They surely would have known this. They surely would have known this, whether they've seen it themselves or they've got family and friends that have witnessed it. It's quite clear that this, this happened, this happened to Jesus during his baptism. So they would have known that. He would have been, if you like, ticking this box for when they're looking for who this servant is. Jesus, Jesus fulfilled this during his baptism. Moving on to, to the last part of verse 18, it talks about justice being brought for the Gentiles. 
And this, when it uses the word justice, it's talking about a positive justice, bringing deliverance to, to pain and to suffering, to difficult situations. And we see that this is exactly what Jesus does in this passage. It says that many followed him and he healed them all, every single one. He brought positive justice, positive justice to each and every one of them. We see in verse 22 that he he heals a demon-possessed man. Jesus, in in this chapter, but also across his whole ministry, spent much time bringing justice and deliverance from sickness, from pain, from suffering to Jews and Gentiles. He was, he was ticking this, this uh, part of the prophecy. Moving on to verse 19, we see that the, the, the chosen servant will be one that doesn't quarrel. He doesn't cry out. He's not heard in the streets. This is exactly what Jesus does in verse 16, where he says, after he's done these amazing, astonishing miracles, healed them all. He says, don't tell people about me. Jesus is not the great self-publicist. He does not need to proclaim his power and his authority and his position as the chosen servant all over the, the media of the day. He has a calm assurance that he knows he's the chosen servant because God has selected him and he has poured out his spirit. He knows his position. But he also wants people to respond, not just to headlines, not just to him self-publicizing. He wants them to respond to his deeds, to what he has done, to how he has lived his life. It's another tick, if you like. He, he, he's filled free, free of these things that they would have been looking out for, for, for who the chosen servant is. And finally, verse 20, one of, one of the most beautiful verses, I think, in, in the whole of Scripture. I'm going to read it again. A battered reed he will not break off, and a smouldering wick he will not put out. A sign of who the chosen servant is, is that he will not look upon weakness, fragility, hurt, pain and smallness and dismiss it he won't dismiss it he will instead draw near to it he won't break it off as it says the the fragile battered reed that most people would chuck out particularly an authoritative leader would say ah don't want you away you go i'll have something that's better no no jesus doesn't do this he draws alongside the fragile and the hurt a smouldering wick he will not put out, a little flicker of a flame. He doesn't go, I'm going to start again and get a big blazing fire. No, no, he doesn't blow it out and say, you're no good. He sees the flicker and he says, I'm going to draw alongside that and I'm going to breathe life into this. And this is what Jesus did. He fulfilled this across his whole ministry. He spent time with people that, that were fragile, were hurting, were needy, and he drew alongside them, blessed them with his time, and breathed life into them. And one of the best illustrations, I think, of this is Peter, where Peter, who one of Jesus's main disciples, and he denies Jesus three times. He betrays him. 
Jesus dies. Peter's, you imagine, he's, he's a smouldering wick. He's in a place of devastation where he, he's betrayed Jesus. Jesus is dead. He's in a terrible position of hurt and fragility. And yet we see in scripture that Jesus draws alongside him, restores him, and then commissions him to go out and to do wonderful things for the gospel and for the kingdom of God. That is who Jesus is. So I'm convinced that one of the reasons that the crowds will have followed him and not the Pharisees was because they saw this prophecy and Jesus ticked the boxes. He met the criteria through his words and deeds and his ministry. And that's why they chose to put their, their faith and their trust in him rather than what the Pharisees were saying. But also, as, a, as, as an aside, why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you? If, if you have a, a, a man like Jesus in your presence who has all power and all authority at his fingertips and yet uses that to draw alongside the weak, the fragile and the hurting, why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you want to follow someone that is as remarkable as that? And I think that that's the, the, the first challenge today would be, are you in a position like the crowd? Are you in a position like the crowd where you're kind of making your mind up? You're not sure what to believe. Well, I would encourage you today to, to look at, at the testimony of who Jesus was, to read the Gospels and to allow the Holy Spirit to, to affirm to you that Jesus was as remarkable as these verses state and that he is worthy of following. I also want to speak to you if you, if you are following him, if you're a believer. You're a son and daughter of God. I want you to meditate, encourage you to meditate on these wonderful verses about Jesus's character. And particularly, I want to speak to you this morning. If, if you're a follower of God and you are feeling like a battered reed, you're feeling fragile, hurt, like you're suffering. I want you to uh, come to Jesus and allow him to draw, draw close to you to breathe life in. If you feel like a smouldering wick, or there's barely a flame going, you're in a tough position. Come to Jesus. Come to Jesus again today and allow him to breathe new life into you through the Holy Spirit. He is a loving, compassionate God who uses his mighty power to bring justice and to, to empower those that come before him humbly. So moving on to this, the second point today, Jesus' power over demons. Verse 22, we see another astonishing miracle. See, a demon-possessed man is brought before Jesus. Jesus heals him. He heals him. And there's an acceptance in verse 23. The crowds are amazed. The Pharisees later on acknowledge that he has done this. There's a clear acceptance that, that Jesus has healed this demon-possessed man. Now I want to stop for a moment and just pause and ask you a question. Do you acknowledge the demonic powers that are at work in our world today? Do you have a true understanding of Ephesians 6, 
where it says that we wage war not against flesh and blood, but against the principalities of darkness. Satan is at work. He was at work in this time, coming upon this man and, and possessing him for his demons. But he's also at work today. Now, it doesn't always look quite the same. It often doesn't in our culture. Often it's a bit more subtle. The work of Satan and the demonic might be temptation. Satan whispering in lies and tempting us to do things that are not in accordance to God's, God's law and what he would have for us. It could be attacks. Sometimes there are just attacks that just, as people step out, it just seems that that is a, that is a demonic attack. Satan is trying to bring trouble on that person to stop them from from stepping out and pursuing what God has for them I remember a couple of years ago when I, I came to do a sermon actually on uh, on uh, the demonic and, and how Jesus set a demon possessed man free at Christ Church Fairham before I was a a part of this church I was in a car crash that week nothing serious nothing major but it just was it was clearly an attack Satan was trying to get after me and, and weaken me and damage me and, and take me out from, and stop me from bringing my message, and bringing God's word that Sunday. We need to have, just like Jesus, just like the crowds and the Pharisees, we need to have an understanding that we do battle against the principalities of darkness and not against flesh and blood. Because when we do, we can then gear ourselves up and equip ourselves to be able to fight against these things. But turning back to the Pharisees, the Pharisees emerge again and they haven't succeeded as, we, as Duncan preached on in the first half of the chapter, trying to catch Jesus out on a point of law. Jesus showed them to be not only wrong, but he also declared himself to be the fulfillment, the perfect fulfillment of the law. But they come back again and they accuse Jesus of being demon possessed. They, they say to him, you, you only do this amazing miracle because satan himself empowers you to do it now jesus swiftly rebukes this and shows this to be nonsense and, and for two reasons first of all if we look at verses 25 and 26 he says why would satan work against satan if i am empowered by satan yet i'm removing satan's work from this demon possessed man how does that make any sense? It, it, it doesn't make sense for Satan to work against Satan. Surely he would be looking to increase his kingdom, not to diminish it. Shows it to be a, a, a straw man argument. But he also turns the tables in verse 27. And he actually says to the Pharisees, he said, your friends and you, you cast out demons, don't you? Who do you cast out demons in? Well, of course, they would have said the God of Israel. Well, that's that's what I'm proclaiming. That's how I cast out demons as well. So if you're saying I'm demon possessed and I, I'm empowered by Satan, then you're also saying you are and your friends are. That's obviously not something they would say, not something they would accuse their friends or themselves of. He tears down their argument and shows it to, to yet again be a straw man argument with no merit but seeking to attack Jesus and, and his identity and character. And yet Jesus is very clear about 
where the authority for this wonderful miracle comes from. He says, I do it through the spirit of God. The same spirit that in verse 18 it mentions has been poured out on the chosen servant. It is by that spirit that empowers him to cast out these demons. But we see that, and we see it across Jesus' lifetime. As I mentioned earlier, I, I preached on a topic on, a, on a Matthew 8 where um, Jesus meets a, a demon-possessed man who is in a cave and chained up because he, he, he's so problematic for the village. Jesus casts out the, the demons through the power of the Holy Spirit and, and actually throws them into a herd of pigs and into the sea. Jesus has demonstrated his sovereign, mighty power over the demonic. But yet we see in verse 28, we see the point of these miracles. We see why Jesus does them. He says, because the kingdom of God is here. Jesus does these miracles. He, he expresses this mighty power because it points to who he is. That he is the chosen servant prophesied about in Isaiah 42 that would come and bring justice for the nations. That would be the savior of the world and for all humanity. That is why he does it. And that is what the Pharisees object to. They object to his claim that he is the, the Messiah that has come. Yet we see that verse 29 goes further. Jesus' power and dominion over Satan and his demons doesn't just, isn't just limited to a few miracles that we read where he heals people of, of their demon possessions and other things like that. We see that he talks about, in verse 29, binding the hands of the strong man and plundering his house. The strong man is Satan. And Jesus is clearly saying that he has tied up Satan's hands. He has limited his power and he has plundered plundered his resources this speaks so clearly of the cross that jesus the sacrificial lamb who went to the cross died a sinner's death as he was crucified you can picture satan you can picture the demons the pharisees all all ecstatic that they've won that they've had the victory they've defeated their great foe and yet Jesus cannot be held. The sinless saviour cannot be held because he atones for our sin. And he's raised from the dead. And as he does so, he goes and binds the hands of Satan. It says death has lost its sting. And what does, he, what does he plunder? He plunders you and me. That for those of us that might come before Jesus and accept the precious blood and the sacrifice of the cross, and turn ourselves into living lives of obedience for him, that we might be free. We might not, in our sin, be bound to, to an eternity with Satan and under his dominion, but that we would be able to be a son of God, that we might be able to dwell in the heavens. As it says in scripture, that there's a place for us, there's a place for us reserved in the kingdom of heaven. This is extraordinary power, extraordinary power that Jesus expresses 
and shows in this passage, but awesomely on the cross. So I want to go back to it. Are we acknowledging? Are we acknowledging that we are in a spiritual battle? Because only when we acknowledge it can we take arms, can we equip ourselves to fight against it. What's one of the ways we can fight against it? We can call upon the mighty name of Jesus. We can call upon the mighty power of the Holy Spirit. Are we calling upon these things? When we face temptation, when we face attack, are we deploying the powerful name of Jesus? Are we deploying the power of the Holy Spirit? If we're not, we need to be. Ephesians 6, I encourage you to read it. The armour of God. We've been equipped with, with not only defensive weapons like the shield of faith to, to fight off the fiery attacks of Satan that will come. We've also been equipped with the sword of the spirit, the word of God, to go and to take ground and to fend off the attacks of Satan. We need to, to be doing these things. And finally, we can take great encouragement that Satan is on borrowed time. Yes, he has power. Yes, he has influence, but he's on borrowed time. His hands have been bound. Jesus has had the victory and has defeated him. And he will return one day. And when he returns, Satan's time will be up. So whatever we're going through, whether we feel hurt, fragile, like we're suffering, we're really going through it at the moment, be encouraged that Jesus has the victory. He has all dominion over Satan and his demons and that there will be an end. There will be an end. And it's a beautiful end for all who believe in him. An end in eternity with God the Father, Son and Holy Spirit. Turning to the final point today, blaspheming the Holy Spirit. So you see in verse 30, Jesus has, has just, just rebuked the Pharisees. He's just shown them to be charlatans again and, and pulled down their arguments. And now a very stark warning comes to them and ultimately to us today. Verse 30, Jesus draws out that there are two groups. There are those that are with him and those that are against him. There is no grey, neutral ground. There's no Switzerland in the kingdom of God. You're either for him or against him. And Jesus is very clearly here pointing out that the Pharisees are at the moment, they are against him. And they're against him because they're blaspheming against the Holy Spirit. So we need to look at this. We need to understand what does this mean? And to do that, we need to look at what the Holy Spirit is. And we look at John 15 verse 26, where it talks about the Spirit is the third person of God. And its role is to testify to who Jesus is and what he has done. When Jesus departed and ascended to heaven, he said to his disciples that there is one who will come and he is far greater than I. He will help you. And one of the ways he helps us is to reveal who Jesus is and to testify who Jesus is and what he's done for us. So to blaspheme against the Holy Spirit is to ultimately not accept 
who Jesus is. It's to not accept that he is the chosen servant, the Messiah, the saviour of the world. Because that's what the spirit comes to do. It testifies, it testifies of him, of his character. It testifies of his death and resurrection on the cross. And this is what the Pharisees are doing. The Pharisees, living in the time of Jesus, have seen the same miracles. They've heard the same things. Yet they're choosing. They're choosing not to accept it. They're choosing to reject it. And the Enduring Words commentary describes it, the blasphemy of the Spirit, as a settled disposition of life that rejects the testimony of the Holy Spirit regarding Jesus. This is where the Pharisees are. They've heard. They've heard from Jesus himself who he is. They've seen his deeds. They've seen his actions through the power of the Holy Spirit. Yet they don't. They choose not, not to believe who he is. They have a settled disposition. They've hardened their hearts. And they're not willing to turn from that. And we see in Hebrews 6 verse 5 that it does mention that there will be some that have tasted the kingdom of God. But have fallen away. In some ways the Pharisees have tasted, they, they know the law. They know the law. They've dedicated themselves to studying the scriptures. They spent time in and around Jesus. Tasted the kingdom of God. But they've chosen to reject it. They've chosen to harden their hearts. And this is it. They've got no room for repentance. Their position is so settled. It's so hardened that there's no way. There's no way that they can accept who Jesus is. This is a firm warning to the Pharisees and to anyone, anyone who might find themselves in that position today. If, if you hear who Jesus is, if the Holy Spirit has revealed to you who Jesus is and what he's done, don't turn away. Don't reject that message because the consequences, as verse 32 mentions, are horrible. You will not be forgiven in this age or the age to come. The outcome will be eternal separation, eternity in hell, separation from God the Father. It's a horrible place to be. So just like Jesus did, I just encourage you this morning that you're hearing the message. You're hearing the message today of what Jesus has done for you. Receive it. Take it to heart. Don't harden your hearts like the Pharisees. And yet we see the mercy and the grace of Jesus on offer here. The Pharisees who've, who've gone after Jesus time after time condemned him, criticised him, sought to undermine him, rejected his position as the chosen servant. They, he, he, he still, he says, all of those things that you've done against me can be forgiven. They can be forgiven. But don't, don't blaspheme, don't reject the Holy Spirit. His desire is that to Peter, Chapter 3, verse 9, that none would perish. It says that he delays coming back because he wants people like the Pharisees to, to, to allow the Holy Spirit to transform their hearts. 
to turn them from a, a settled disposition of not accepting who Jesus is and what he's done for us, to doing a complete turnaround, to accepting him as the chosen servant and the Lord and the saviour of their lives. And this is what Jesus could have walked off and just said, you've been awful to me. I have no time for you. I I, I don't want to spend any more time talking to you, but he doesn't. He comes and he, he offers grace and mercy and he, he urges them to turn away, to turn away from their, their rejection of him. So I want to speak to us today. It's again, just like Jesus, if, if you don't know him, if you don't know him, but you have, you have heard about him, you've heard about him this morning, you've, you've read the Gospels. And you come with a true sincerity and humility. I encourage you to, to pray, to open up your hands and to ask the Holy Spirit to reveal who God is to you, who Jesus was. So that, that brings it out of the book into life and really brings it vividly to you and makes a difference. So I encourage you to do that. And if you are a believer, I, I just encourage you to bathe in the grace of God. How marvellous and how wonderful is it that Jesus, the chosen servant, with all power and authority and dominion over demons and Satan and everything else in the world, chooses to draw alongside the, the weak and the fragile and the needy and the hurting like you and me. He chooses to show us grace with the precious blood of Christ. Let's bathe in that. Let's celebrate. Let's praise him for that. Because it's amazing. It's reason to rejoice. So as I wrap, as I wrap up today, I just encourage us to, to let's be like the crowds. Let's follow him. Let's choose to follow him today. And to throw ourselves, particularly if we're hurting we're fragile, we're feeling weak, to throw ourselves at his feet and to allow him to restore us, to draw alongside us and to fan us into flame again through the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's be aware of the spiritual battle that exists. Let us gear ourselves with the mighty name of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's put on the armour of God So we have protection, but we also have weapons, the word of God, that we can speak out in those moments of spiritual attack. And let's remember that Jesus has the victory. He has binded the hands of the strong man, of Satan, and he has plundered his house. And finally, let's be confident in our salvation. If if the wonderful act of amazing grace is true in your life today take a moment to rejoice and to thank god for that and if you haven't it's not too late it's not too late jesus urges the pharisees and i urge you this morning to come and to meet with god to come and through the power of the holy spirit to have it revealed to you just what a wonderful chosen servant and saviour Jesus was. 
So I'm going to pray for us to close. Father God, I thank you so much that you are an amazing God. I thank you that you are worthy of us following you because you are powerful, you are mighty. But you're also a God who uses that to draw close and to empower the needy, the hurt and the fragile. You're worthy of our praise and worthy of our worship. I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would help us as we face spiritual warfare, help us to be geared and equipped with the armour of God, the mighty power of your name and the Holy Spirit. And I pray for victories. Pray for victories over spiritual attack. And finally, Lord, I thank you for your amazing grace. And I pray for any people listening today, Lord, that, that truly come before you, open up their hands and welcome in the Holy Spirit and say, please testify to me who Jesus is. Bring it to life for me. I pray that you would transform their hearts today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.